Good morning. Well, you'll notice in your order of worship there that we're beginning a new sermon series about the Sabbath and about the idea of rest and joy in God. Um, I sent out uh, an email uh, earliest, uh, I guess on Friday, about the sermon series. If you didn't receive it, I put a, a letter on the back table that uh, tells you more about the series if you're interested, or you can talk to me about that. Um, but I want to start by hearing some words from different writers and journalists that are thinking about this topic of work and rest. Americans work too much. This is what Derek Thomas said. He is a journalist that writes about work and culture. He goes on, this is not a matter of opinion so much as a factual point of international comparison. The U.S. worker labors more hours than her counterpart in just about every similar country. If the average American worker as much as, worked as much as the typical German, she'd have about 30 extra days off per year. That's a free six-week six week vacation in exchange for embracing the famously leisure work habits of Germany. <laughs> Germany, right? Another scholar goes on to say, we live in an economy and society that is demanding too much from people. And a Christian scholar named Dorothy Bass writes, most Americans, although they've been taught that they should use time well, it now feels to many people like time is using them. That time is using them. Now these are just a few of voices that we could point to that speak of the challenge that I imagine many of us feel or experience in our daily schedules and daily responsibilities. Too much to do, too much information, too much communication to keep up with, too many activities, too many things to take care of. I imagine that many of us, if not all, can relate to that in some way. And what I want us to ponder today and in the weeks ahead is that rest is a central theme of the Scriptures. And it's something that each of us long to experience, the idea of joy and rest. But it's also worth acknowledging that this is challenging. It's not something that just naturally happens in life, that there are seasons and that there are roles and certain work or responsibilities that make feeling rest seem at times impossible. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at rest and joy through the scriptural concept of Sabbath. Sabbath, that word, comes from the Hebrew word of Shabbat, meaning to rest or to cease, to stop. And Scripture says that the practice of Sabbath was not so much a duty or things you're supposed to take care of or not do. This idea of rest was to be a delight and refreshment from God. Not set forth as a duty as much as it is God calling us to intimate times of enjoying Christ and enjoying our connection to one another as His people. We're going to explore Sabbath and rest through different movements of the Scripture story, and this morning, we'll start at the beginning, and through the lens of creation, ask about God's rest. Our passage is from Genesis 1 and 2, and it looks at the sixth and seventh day of creation, in which we see God model rest for us. So let's look at our passage. This is Genesis 1, verse 26, through Genesis 2, verse 3. You can follow in your order of worship or your Bible. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we give you thanks that you have made us. And we come, Lord, myself, and I imagine nearly all of us here, we come as those who know what it is to be tired, to feel like there's too much to do, and not sure how to get it done, or just to feel overwhelmed with responsibilities in the home or at work or wherever we go. And so, Lord, we pray that you would begin a journey in us that we may see you and find you as a source of rest and joy for ourselves and for our souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just read from Genesis, which is the sixth and seventh day of creation, but if we look at the whole thing of the opening chapter Genesis, we can see the first six days of creation unfold in a careful and ordered design. Uh, This design is expressed and set forth in days of parallel. On day one, God creates day and night, and in parallel, day four, God fills the day with the sun and fills the night with the stars. On day two, God creates the sky and sea And that parallels with day five when God creates birds to fill the air and fish to fill the sea. And on day three, God creates dry land and plants. And that parallels with day six in which God fills the land with animals, but chiefly in the center of it that God creates humans as his image bearers to live on the land. I say that, that parallel, to make sure that we see that day seven is a day of creation that stands apart. It's a day without parallel in the story of creation. What happens on the seventh day? Well, we read read that God, having completed his work, rests. And so God blesses the seventh day and made it holy. And what I want us to see this morning is that there will be two parts of the sermon, two parts to focus on God's actions on the seventh day. First, we'll look at God resting, and then that God blessed the day and made it holy. So we can start with this action of God that God rested. On the seventh day, God rests. And if you're like me, this sounds intriguing, something to wonder over, yet hard maybe to to make sense of. What does it mean that God, the God of creation, rests? When I suggest to you that way that we can begin to think about that is that God's rest is that God is enjoying his good work. He's enjoying his good creation. Hebrew has two primary words for work, or labor, one that's unskilled and one that's of a craftsman. The unskilled, the other, the other day I had to fix a door in my house, 
and I had to take a, a slab of wood and stain it and put the hardware in. And I didn't realize this, this probably is obvious, but you have to also chisel out holes to put the hinges for the door. So Charlie Greco was nice enough to let me borrow his chisel set. And I did get the hinges in the door, and the door is hung in my house. But I can tell you for sure that it was of the first labor word of Hebrew that it was unskilled in raw work, not beautiful or craftsmanlike. I mention that because the two words in Hebrew for labor, like one is being raw and unskilled, but the other, the one that's used here in Genesis, is that of a craftsman, of a person who has experience and expertise to make something bring together in a beautiful manner. And that's how God's work is described. Not raw and unskilled, but one of beauty. Being able to complete or to create with care and expertise. All that God, the Creator, has willed and designed for the canvas of the universe is now in place. And God stops and judges His work, and it's good. It's very good. The words here meaning that it's lovely, it's pleasing, it's beautiful. You see, the movement to the seventh day is not simply that time has run its course, but that God delights in what has been made. God delights in his work. God ceasing his work and resting is a way to declare as fully as possible just how very good creation is. One author writing about the idea of seeing something and beholding it. This author says, Only someone who comes to rest and has nothing planned is able to perceive the beauty of things as they are. He or she sees the flowers and the sunset, a painting, or a beloved person with unexpected pleasure. Someone who comes to rest and has nothing planned, able to perceive the beauty of things. Maybe have you had such an experience to stop and to see something that you see as beautiful? A child, a friend, a spouse, a park here in the city, the architecture all around us, a craft or a work project that's been completed that you delight in, a beautiful meal, or maybe the experience, the rare but wonderful experience of being seen and adored by someone else. God stops and God rests in order to enjoy the beauty and the loveliness of creation. And later what we'll see in the scriptures is that God teaches the people of Israel to share in this enjoyment, to share in this rest. We too, as followers of Christ, are invited to join God in rejoicing what is and what has been given. Our passage that we read highlights humankind's special place in God's creation we uniquely bear God's image. And as part of this identity, we are called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And this call to work is not something to be seen as low. That's not some kind of afterthought or simply a need that has to be filled that God doesn't want to do, some kind of small little labor. Rather, the language around humankind is regal. It's royal, it's filled with value. We're described as being very good, and we are to resemble God in our work, in our use of God's good gifts, in our care for our lives and the world around us. And then, like our God, we are to take times to rest with joy over the goodness and fruitfulness of our life and work and care. God's rest and enjoyment 
in his creation, offers us a way for, to see ourselves in this world as gifts. And I want us to, to, to think about this maybe shift of how we think about our, our lives or the things around us, is that this account of seeing how God is enjoying his creation is an opportunity for us to see these things as gifts to receive. The Lord has given us creation. He's given you and me our very lives as gifts. Creation, this world and its abundance, is not a possession, but rather a gift. Life is a gift. It's not something we accomplish. Our value is established by God, not proven or secured by our work or our productivity today or this week. The world is given as communion with God. Think about it this way. All of creation is a sign. It's a means for us to encounter God's presence his wisdom and his love. Maybe we can think of some kind of great meal that, that we've enjoyed, that some kind of place that you've gone and enjoyed, really nice food and being with people. At the center is this table, right? The table that we enjoy fellowship or time together around the food and the enjoyment of our work. That image of gathering around the table to be together, that's the image of creation that God offers us. That when we enjoy the food and we enjoy the, the, the riches of our labor, when we experience the beauty of the world around us, when we have those people we know or they know us, when we have talents or work or energy, any type of fruitfulness, these are gifts from God and places for us to commune and connect with God, like a table that God has established for us. In response to this blessing, we are to bless God in return, to thank Him. But we know that, if you're like me, that we often forget that these things are gifts. It can be like a drudgery or a duty or things that overwhelm us. But we're still hungry, even when we forget that these are gifts. We're still hungry. We still know that we are dependent and that we have needs. But instead of considering God in these moments, then, we see only our work. We see only our productivity, only the pace that we can keep up to keep things going. On the seventh day, God rests, and we can acknowledge that the God of heaven and earth didn't need to rest. But God chose to cease work for the day, to be in fellowship with the triune God and with his creation, to enjoy what was made. This rest affirms that life, all life, all humans, are ultimately belong to God. And that no person, no life belongs to anyone else. That this value of being an image bearer is for all people, regardless of our place in society, our power, our wealth, our position. That God invites us to this time of rest to remember such truths and to rejoice in the gifts that are given, life and the fruitfulness of the world. These are gifts that invite us into communion with God. Invitations even to celebrate His feast and his goodness. So on the seventh day, God rests, and it's an invitation for us to see and to know the gifts that God gives to us. But there's two actions on our passage of God on the seventh day. The other action of God is that he blesses the day and makes it holy. God blesses the day and makes it holy. One of the most distinguished words in the Bible is the word holy. It means set apart. And it is a representation of the mystery and the majesty of God, this otherness. 
There's a rabbi named Abraham Heschel who writes, Now, what was the first holy object in the history of the world? Was it a mountain? Was it an altar? He goes on to say how significant it is that the first holy object in the world is time. A day. God blesses the seventh day and made it holy. Think of the importance of time. You don't need me to to tell you this, right? It forms how we see what's in front of us. It forms even how we know ourselves. The way of time is fundamental to how we order our, our day, how we order the society around us, how we make sense of our community. It's everywhere. And God invites us to consider a holiness present in it. This is the new year, right? January, not too far into January. It's a time for new calendars, new date books, whether you use your phone or have an actual book that you keep your schedule. Maybe yours is already getting filled up. For Christmas, my wife got me uh, a new calendar book. It's called The Perpetual Disappointment Diary 2020. <laughs> Perpetual Disappointment. I could say a lot of things about this uh, calendar book, if you'd like, but uh, there is one part of it that I want to mention, that on each day as you open up, it has the seven days of that week. You can fill out things happening, but it has a quote or has someone you know, saying next to each week. The saying for this week, for example, if, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, does that remind you of your life? <laughs> yep, nice. Next week, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, followed by countless other steps, gradually merging into relentless treasury. <laughs> so, that's very nice. Thank you, Jody, for the encouragement. This daily diary is you know, a funny way to think about our experience of time, schedules. But if you're like me, that humor partly is there because we can relate to it, that we know what it's like, that time can begin to feel like drudgery, that each day keeps coming with more tasks, more tasks, more things to take care of. And so what does it mean that God blesses and makes the day holy, that makes time set apart? We see in this creation account that God offers a pattern for you and for me, setting apart one day from others as a special day to be rejuvenated in worship of God and His Word and joyful rest. The, the holy idea, this day of a holy day, a day set apart, is that there is a regular interruption in your schedule and mine, a regular sign in the midst of time that reminds us of God's work and God's promises to invite us to look beyond our schedules, our tasks, our work. In the ancient world, when someone spoke of rest, especially of a sovereign or a king, rest was not just the idea of inactivity, but it was that one had rule over his dominion, the king's dominion. It was a sign of sovereignty, of, of setting things the way they were supposed to be. And so when we say that God rests, that this is true of the God of Israel, in creation, that in the face of chaos, in the face of non-existence, God creates beauty. God brings forth an order and a goodness. And that He is over all things, over the heavens and the earth. And God sets forth a day, a time in the midst of our lives to remind us of that. God invites us into a rhythm in which we would be interrupted 
to be reminded of God's good rule over his creation and over our lives. How we think of time in our work speaks a great deal about how we understand our purpose and our condition. Do we acknowledge our limits and our frailty? Do we remember that we are created? What does it mean for us to say that human well-being and worth are not established by endless productivity? You see, God's interruption, the idea of setting apart time to worship and to have time of stopping and resting, that our participation in that says something about our world. It announces that the world is in the hands of our God and that the world will not disintegrate if we stop our efforts. In fact, it, it may be suffering because of our exchange of trust for attempts at control. God's rest is a sign proclaiming that the world relies on God's promises, not human power. Therefore, when we rest, we turn to God, we break our efforts to achieve, to secure ourselves, to make the world into our image according to our purposes. And such an affirmation, such an interruption of rest reminds us that we are not on our own, and it calls into question the purpose of our life. Is the, the goal of your life and my life, is the goal the joy of rest and communion? Or is it the proof of our competency? Think about that. What is the purpose, the goal of your life? Is it to prove you're competent? Or is it to know the joy of resting in God and communion with God and with one another? It's especially in those, those moments, that even in God's good creation, those moments when we know sin and hurt, that it's good to remember this sign of rest. That God's rest points beyond ourselves. It points beyond those who hurt us points beyond our efforts to make things all fit together. In those moments of hurt and sin, whether ours or those against us, we need to remember this sign that God says that we are not on our own. We're more than what we accomplish today or tomorrow. The truth is that many of us are workaholics. Many of us seek peace through control, constantly active, completing tasks. We are restless and God invites us to rest. And what God is inviting us to do in making the day holy, setting apart time, is for us to begin by acknowledging that we are not God. Acknowledging that we are not God. And that it's true when, that God invites us to stop and to be still and to know that He is God. No rest can really begin unless we encounter that type of interruption. God sets apart time, invites us to know and remember his work. And it's Jesus has come and Jesus himself steps into time. On the seventh day, God set apart the day of us holy. And Jesus entered time on our behalf. As we heard Mark read from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus came and made clear over and over again that Sabbath rest is a gift. Not a sign of your accomplishments, not a sign of your religion, but it's a gift. And Jesus said the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. And Jesus identifies himself as Lord of the Sabbath. And it's a way of him saying that this interruption, this sign of God's work is fulfilled and climaxed in him. This rule that God has over creation, this reminder that we're invited to find, it is centered in him. 
In Jesus, he came to face the sin and chaos and death that surrounds us. He entered it, and his resurrection shows that he is above all those things. He is the victor. And so part of resting is resting in his work for you and for me. Jesus says the Lord of the Sabbath is the sign of God's rule. It's also a sign that the kingdom of God breaks with the ways of this world, breaks with dehumanizing exploitation, breaks with the frenetic self-securing. And in Jesus, we're invited to start our life and day and thoughts of time with remembering God, our Creator, who has given us the gift of life, the gift of this world, and given us the gift of His grace. I want to acknowledge to you that this idea of resting and finding joy in the midst of our busyness is challenging. I want you to hear that. We live in a world that seems to be against any attempts at that. So it is challenging, but I invite us to think as Scripture invites us to do what it would like, be like to rest in the work of God. What it would it be like to rest in God's promises for you in Christ? And maybe over the next week or the next month ahead, in your own thinking, but with friends or coworkers and your small group, even to ask, what would it look like for me to intentionally rest? To take on the celebration of worship and hearing God's word and time with God's people, but also times of, of sleeping, of napping, of enjoying the world around us, of the gifts that God's given you, the people in your life. But what would also what it would be like to put away activity, to put away your phone for a period of time, not check email, not be responsible for posting certain things or getting back to certain work tasks, putting away certain household things for another day. I acknowledge that those things are complicated and it's not clear. All of us have to figure that out maybe in different ways. But I encourage you to think about that. For on the seventh day, God rested and set aside time as holy. And he invites us as his image bearers to know that rest for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And Lord, I thank you that you are good and gracious, God, that made a good world. We thank you for the gifts of our life, the gift of the fruitfulness of this world. We pray, Lord, that we may experience them with joy and intimacy with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.